Welcome to Shoot First, Talk Later, the photo shoot podcast with me, Robert Gershenson. I'm joined by actor Fizayo Akiyade, known for stage roles in Waiting for Godot and Antony and Cleopatra, and screen roles in films such as The Girl with All the Gifts with Glenn Close and the 2015 Channel 4 drama Cucumber and Banana, written by queerest folk scribe Russell T. Davis. Fizayo can now be seen in the stage play Shipwreck at the Armida Theatre in London until the 30th of March. Head to sftl.photos to see the images that I've just shot. We've done the shooting, now let's do the talking. So Shipwreck, it's, it's a really political play. I saw it the other night. It's focusing on what, what's happening in America in recent years, and particularly Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no secret. There's a shadow of him behind you on yeah. the poster. Yeah. I'm always really interested. How important is it for plays and films and sort of art pieces to explore these modern themes? Um, I think it's actually quite hard. And oddly, I was talking to a friend about this last night, but oddly, theatre seems to be the place it happens first and then TV catches up and then film. But I don't, I don't think there's been a play that's tackled Donald Trump and America and what happened in 2016, 2017. Seriously, I think there's been a lot of satire, a lot of um, fun poked at it. SNL do it brilliantly. But I think in terms of someone genuinely trying to figure out how the hell we got here, um, I don't think that's been done before, particularly not in, in the way that Anne Washburn has in her play. Do you think these kind of plays and these kind of works, like SNL even Michael Moore's recent documentary Mm. and now Shipwreck, do you think there's a responsibility to offer solutions and answers? Um, I think, I don't think there's a responsibility to offer solutions. I think there's a responsibility to ask the right questions, I think. I think rather than sort of go, here's my view, here's my point, I think it's better to go, here are some views, here are some points, now make up your own mind. Because I think any any artwork made with a sort of this is my point and it's fixed and decided leaves the audience or whoever is is um, encountering that art with 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 no takeaway. Whereas if you open a discussion, people can leave a show, an art piece, whatever, with a with conversations buzzing through their heads that they can then go and dissect with their friends. There's a um, obviously Donald Trump turns up in in the play yes he does (laughs) it's it's quite known now was there a worry that that kind of thing would completely overshadow everything else in the play um i don't think so because he's been set up quite well and so what you see is is two versions of donald trump that are the myth that he has sort of self-created of himself Mm. and so they're not um uh, sort of direct impressions or or uh, bits that are lifted from any of his speeches or anything like that. They are fantasies that he has created himself in real life that are then enacted in the play. So I don't think it's uh, uh, I, I don't think it takes away. If anything, it just adds to 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 the the the, the notion that he has sort of made himself a myth, and you get to see those myths in action. And it's not. It's not a case of like SNL where it's a parody. No, not at all. No, it's sort of. It's sort of. I suppose the two versions of Trump are, uh, if Trump were to imagine how he appears to other people, or yeah. the man that must be in his head, the version of himself he sees every morning when he looks in the mirror. <laughs> I suppose that that is what Anne has captured. So it's, there's no attempt to to sort of mimic the real man because the real man is not heroic. And no. the real man is not mythic and he's not godlike. He's, well. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem is, the problem is with Trump, if you do try and do an impersonation of him, it can only be uh, a buffoon. It can only be clownish because he himself in the real world, the one that we live in, he is such a odd character. Mm. It's not like a, a Ronald Reagan impression or a George yes. Bush impression he is this weird entity that seems to be beyond ridicule Mm. it's odd though because i think he's 
I mean, he is ridiculed, but I think people do forget that he is quite a dangerous man. A hundred percent. Because he is he is the man with the red button, and yeah. he is the man with with the entire sort of military might of the United States behind him. Well, he's the most powerful man in the world, and that, and that is terrifying when you hand the keys of power to a, a, essentially a sort of um, child <laughs> with who is has no shame in sort of holding grudges. Yeah, um, that is a scary, scary place to be. And also a man who doesn't really know much about politics, it seems. No, now you're right. Running, running the country. I think that's a really scary thing. And I think to diminish that with sort of jokes or or parody is is can be. I don't think it's totally. I think there's room for parody in, in anything. But I think it can be dangerous because he is dangerous, I think. The play, it doesn't pick a side, does it? It doesn't say we are with the hard left or we are with the hard right. It kind of gives voice to both but it can also be really scathing to both sides Mm -hmm. was that an appeal when that script dropped on your doormat i mean i remember thinking the the play itself is actually sort of a critique on white liberalism in that in the sense that now we live in this age where if something outrageous happens everyone goes on twitter and goes i'm outraged and offended and then everyone jumps on it and then a person's career is ruined yeah it's that we're, we're in that age and so and half the time, I think there's a lot of Twitter warriors who do a lot of write on tweeting and don't actually do anything in the real world. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And so. It's one of the reasons I left Twitter. Yeah. yeah <laughs> because you just sort of go, but I, I've met you. And when we talk, you don't talk about anything you tweet about. So. It's that anonymousness, isn't it? They can yeah, hide you behind can say the whatever you want on there. And you can be as woke and as whatever as you want to be. But are you practicing what you preach? And. I do feel that the majority of people on Twitter really aren't, actually. No, it's, it's, very, a, it's very armchair easy. activism, Yeah, isn't I think it? it's very easy to appear like you're doing shitloads and you're not, actually, no. you know? So I think the, the play, the thing that, one of the things that struck me, apart from, you know, all the stuff about with, with my character, was the fact that it seemed to be a critique on white liberalism and how hard people try to do and think and feel and say the right thing. Creative environments, especially the theatre, usually are very Mm left-leaning they're very um woke as you say (laughs) (laughs) very liberal yeah were you worried of any kind of backlash from from within your own community your own theater community the fact that this play does give quite a large chunk of it to being quite scathing towards how left liberal people are Mm. um no not really i think i think there was a lot of uh i think there has been a lot of uh Oh, yes, we can be a bit like that, can't we? Um, Which has been quite nice. But also, I mean, I don't know. We're we're in an age where you sort of pick a side and the left are doing all they can to be righteous and good and and decent. And that should be applauded. But I think sometimes it can go too far one way and not enough the other, you know? Has it altered your views? Has it altered your outlook on, on... On kind of the state of of America at the moment, Brexit in this country. No, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as in, as in, like, I didn't, I didn't come in going Trump's great and then leave going he's yeah. awful. I, I sort of always knew that. But what the play really unlocked for me was what it must feel like to be a Black American in Trump's America. That 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 must be wild for them. I, I just I can't even begin to like. Uh, fathom how that must feel that that a a racist an openly racist misogynistic man has been voted for by the american public to be president i I can't imagine how that feels does that kind of tie into anything in this country with with kind of brexit and the, the 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 right movement in this country about how minorities and not just not just uh black or muslim or asian but lgbtq are viewed yeah, I mean, I think what Brexit, like, because everyone said, oh, Brexit's made it, uh, Britain more racist and everybody's, uh, there are all these attacks and like it wasn't happening before. Mm. In the same way that Trump in America gave um, white supremacist racists the the uh, sort of um, soapbox to stand on and, and have their racism go unchallenged, I think Brexit has sort of done the same thing. We were right. We didn't want you in this country and now we, and now we have proof we didn't want you here you know and also brexit wasn't even about that i think people this is the problem with brexit anyway is that people didn't know what they were voting for they thought they were voting to get rid of immigrants and that's not the case at all no but um yeah 
but you're right it, it it kind of you know those those racist views and those racist organizations and those racist people or and, and or completely xenophobic were there trump and brexit have given these people the justification to say these things outside of their own circles now mm-hmm. and to have it be you know they offer their opinion as a fact as a, a kind of well it's my opinion it should now be placed within the law yeah it's it's a really bizarre time it's a crazy time and i don't really know what the answer is because it is just getting worse and i mean yeah i mean we could we could talk for hours about it but i think social media has a massive part to play because everyone is trying to they're using it to validate their beliefs, their 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 coolness, their wokeness, whatever you want to call it. They're all, they're doing that stuff, and social media is is a big feeds into that massively because you can cultivate uh, a persona that that people believe is real, and it's just I think it can be a bit dangerous. Have you gone down that that path yourself with your social media accounts? I don't think so. I think I try and be just my, myself. I don't I don't really post that. Um, things uh, politically i don't i don't i try and avoid that stuff just because they're my beliefs and i'll talk about them in real life with my friends rather than shout them into the ether on twitter or whatever but how can how can anyone put a a point across in 140 characters well exactly exactly and also i mean it's very easy to be outraged and i think people that's people's first go-to like they don't go i've heard this awful story this thing might not be true this might be true and they don't go and research it and figure out if it's actually true what the what the actual story is before they take to twitter and are outraged yeah you know and it's always a knee joke delete your account yeah 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 ridiculous he should be fired they should be this let's cancel (laughs) his career forever like it's and that's fine i understand that the knee-jerk reaction because there are things i read that that infuriate me daily yeah but until i go and have a look and a google and a research and and see the actual details of the thing i can't go on there and start shouting like like my opinion is facts because it's not it's the it's the anonymous nature of it all like i think that gives people the confidence to talk another bollocks yeah i mean <laughs> so let's go back where'd you grow up i uh so i was born in liverpool in 1987 <laughs> and then i uh went to nigeria for about four years oh wow my dad um, <laughs> my dad couldn't get a visa so he so, so we, you had to go with so me and my mum had to go okay. and see him um stayed there for a few years and then came back do you have many memories of Nigeria? I I have two. I remember one that I genuinely thought this was a dream. So one of one of me walking with my mum in the market and her handing out apples to children. That was that's one memory. Has she paid for them? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I've never asked her. Um, and then the other is um, a white bike that I got given that had a little rainbow on it. And then um, came back uh, and then moved to Manchester, which I, I do consider my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up there. I did um, notice an accent. Yeah, just a little one. Just a little one. I know. It's, it's, which it's, end of it's, Manchester? Uh, Fallowfield and Moss Side. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. All the classy places. <laughs> um, and uh, was acting always the thing? Was that was that a thing you picked up as a, um, as a five six seven year old it was something i always enjoyed doing but there were two sort of moments in my life actually one was i think i was about 13 12 or 13 and i saw philadelphia oh for the first time Mm -hmm. i remember watching denzel washington and that and just going okay yeah yeah i want i want some of that and then what was it about what was it about that that role there was a level of command he had and a level of sort of um utter control and conviction and i i remember thinking oh you can't argue with him there's no arguing with this man. The like, character? The, the character. Yeah. There was just no... I thought he's so certain and definite. And I sort of was mesmerized by the charisma and the power he had. Like, he, you, the audience and, and the jury he was talking to was yeah. just right in the palm of his hand. Um, and then when I was about 16, 15, 16, I went to watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom at okay. the Royal Exchange. And that was the first time I saw black people on stage. And so I remember basically sort of flying home to my mum and being like, I've just seen this play, mum and dad. I've seen this amazing thing and I want to do it. And then they sort of went, mm, we don't know. <laughs> and then through college, um, my tutor, uh, one of my drama tutor, Wynn and Rob, they both were like, you should do this. 
professionally. And they spoke about Wumi Masaku. Who oh, I'm not gone familiar through. with that. She's brilliant. Her. She's a brilliant actress. And she went to RADA. Okay. And then that's where I learned about drama schools. And then I auditioned and got in. And Which uh, drama school did you end up at? I went to Central. Central, Central School of Speech and Drama. How did you actually get in? So you obviously apply through UCAS, I'm assuming. Um, and you do an audition. Central UCAS. I can't remember now. Yes, it was, I think. Yeah. So you apply through UCAS. And then you... Um, you audition and then in the f- on the first day you have there's three sort of bits so you do two speeches and then you do uh like a workshop type thing and then you get with a, a group yeah and then you get a tour of the building what speeches did you do as in like monologues yes i did one monologue from a play called it's ralph i did romeo from romeo and juliet and angelo from measure for measure okay that's right yes yeah uh, so how I did, did you think two. you did uh, well, the first time round, I flail, failed miserably. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got through to the second half of the day and then I, I hadn't learned my second speech ah. properly. So. Did they give you feedback there and then? They're like, well, uh, that wasn't very good. You go over to this side of the room. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty, not necessarily cutthroat, but a bit. it's just immediate. It's a I bit mean, cutthroat. It's a bit, it's a bit cutthroat, yeah. I mean, not in, a, not in any sort of harsh way, but just in a sort of... Um, honest like yeah come back next year i was like okay cool so you did come back next year and then got in so it was fine with the same speeches uh yes yeah yeah were you hoping they wouldn't remember you or well i kind of wanted to prove to them that i could do it (laughs) with the (laughs) with the same speeches i guess so how old were you then i think i was like 21 22 okay yeah i can't remember so you were out of your teens oh yeah definitely yeah 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 so in between the two years who did you work on the I mean, how did you up your skills? How did you go from being, you know, not getting into actually getting in? What Uh, what happened in that year? um, I, so when I didn't get in, I went back to my old college and taught as a teacher's assistant for a year. And uh, that was, it was just quite a, a sort of quite a grounding experience to know that you had students who were dependent on you, I suppose. It was, it just made you a bit more responsible. Um, and then I read a lot of plays in that year and just saw a lot and did a lot and grew up a bit, I think, actually. Do you think the teaching makes you appreciate, or maybe not appreciate is the right word, maybe it's more you, you kind of view your craft from a completely different view and it can only improve you? I think so, but I think any for an actor, any life experience is, is uh, useful because it's a bit of a treasure trove. Like, yeah. it, ultimately, you only have your own experiences and what you can imagine as your your sort of um, foundation. So, so the more you experience in the real world, the the better. What's it like at Central? Um, so my course was so there's three strands. They're, it's all the same degree. You get a degree yeah. in acting at the end, but the the approach is very different. So you have uh, musical theatre, stage and screen, which I think they've changed the name to something else now, and collaborative and devised, which is what I did. And that was very much um, working physically to generate uh, emotional uh, responses. It was a lot of devised work. So we did a lot of Jacques Lecoq technique, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Chekhov technique. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, I had a lot of... Drama school is just a weird alien bubble that does become your life and then you leave and go, oh, here's the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed it. I made four of the best friends I'll ever have from that place. And yeah, it was, it was a, a massive, massive learning curve. Do you feel you completely changed? Uh, I wouldn't say completely changed. I'd say developed. Okay. But... Um, it's actually in the years after drama school that you, I think the real change happens, really. Do they help you find an agent? It's, mm, it's not that they help you. You just get, uh, in your third year, you do public productions. So, yeah. you, so agents get invited um, and hopefully they pick the right shows that show you off in the right way. What um, did you do? We did, our first play was a devised play called Sold, which was about human trafficking, which is really great, actually, for, for one, because we were tackling something that a lot of us cared about, but also we, were, we could be quite specific with the roles we played. So it was probably in terms of characters, the, the cl- characters that were closest to us, um, or cl- closest to what we'd end up playing in the industry. Uh, second play was another devised play called The Edge, which was about 
channel swimming and uh, and refugees trying to get over the into the country. So there's a link between crossing the English Channel as a sort of hobby, yeah, and crossing it to you know get have a a, a, a shot at a better life. So who do, who devise who 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 so devises you, with the director and the company? Um, basically, so it'd be like me and my classmates and our director for that for the edge. It was Douglas Rintoul, and for sold it was Catherine Alexander, who who is the head of our course. So off the back of those performances, you got an agent or? Yeah, yeah. So I, I signed with an agency called Morwenna Preston Management. And my agent was Nick Coop. Um, and it was he was the assistant. And so in my final year, he decided he wanted his own clients. And I was one yeah. of his first. That was really lovely. Oh, so he did like a little offshoot for himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Still within the Morwenna Preston okay. agency. but um, And you're still with them now? No, 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 I moved. Um, <laughs> but that's how it but works. I, I, I must say, I moved because he... So Nick called me one day when I was filming um, Cucumber and he said he didn't want to be an agent anymore and he felt oh. like he wanted to move into producing. And he said, now you can stay with Morwenna or you can try and find someone else. And at the time I was doing this show that, that was going to be quite big mm. and so I used that to find someone else clever yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it was all with you know blessings so it was all good how long after drama school did you book your first show um gosh not not that long i think it was january the following year that i did waiting for godot so within so job. within six months yeah 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 is that unusual um it kind of can be yeah it kind of yeah i mean it's not the thing is, the thing about this thing is there's no rhyme nor reason. I know some of the best actors I've ever seen in my life that just haven't worked at yeah. all. And then I, you, we all know actors who aren't that great who are working all the time. So, <laughs> so I mean, there's no rhyme nor reason to it, I think. But yeah, I, I was very fortunate to um, have Waiting for Godot and then fortunately sort of continue to work ever since. That's quite a big play. Not necessarily, yeah. not necessarily you know, in, in the amount of cast, but it's it's got a legacy yeah. to it. It's yeah. like if someone said, "Oh, we're going to do a new film of ET." Yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's your first role out of out of school. Yeah. So did you have a what the fuck moment? It was. I just. I think I was too nervous to even realize what I was in. Um, I think I. I remember because it was a it was it was a, an all black production, and I, I find those things tricky at the best of times. But anyway, was that? Uh, because I sort of, the reason they're done is partly to sort of be like quite right on and look at what we're doing for the cause yeah. and also uh, uh, to, to unlock new resonances in the play. And, and you sort of go, well, just write a new play or find a new play that, that talks about the things you want to talk about rather yeah. than putting I a bunch that. of black people in a play that was written by a white man for white people. I, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just, I, I, anyway. Oh, no, I get it. I mean, Hollywood have been doing, you know, they've been doing female remakes of you know ghostbusters and oceans yeah. uh, 11 oceans 8 mm. and it, it kind of brings up the questions well this isn't that progressive because you're having to take a man's yes film. Like something that was already made for men and exactly then, rather so, than just do like what um yargos did with the favorite which is just write a really brilliant film exactly and have three brilliant women yeah although that, that, that script's been knocking about since the 90s they couldn't get it made oh really but things like bridesmaids right was a brilliant example brilliant of what yeah. you can do with an all-female cast and have it brand new and specific to them yes yeah you know it wasn't a rehashing of of something that had already been done bridesmaids was fantastic yeah yeah it's just that it's that thing so um i didn't have those feelings about all black productions at the time this is something i've come to sort of later in my life but um but also fresh out of school someone yeah. offers you that yeah, you yeah go, of course, I've, i mean of what course. time do i turn up and yeah, how much yeah, yeah. yeah and of course there are brilliant roles that i would love to play that are traditionally written for uh, white men and that's fine and I'd love to play those roles but um, I just think instead of sort of trying to, to, to shoehorn in a bunch of black and brown people into productions that uh, have already happened that there, there is a wealth, a rich pool of untapped uh, new writing that should just be put on instead. Do you feel that's that's more of a larger industry thing where we're seeing, you know, not just not just theatre, but TV and film. We're seeing the large companies, large production companies and broadcasters and studios. They just want to tap into a brand or a IP. Well, what's popular, isn't it? You know, that's it's, it's what's popular. What's 
what's current, what's cool, and we will profit off that. Yeah. And that in some ways is great because it means a lot more of my friends are working, but in other ways it's, it's kind of exploitative and you, it's hard because everyone's got to make a living, right? Everyone's got to try and earn a wage and that's, it's, it's tricky when you come up, I've not had it so much, but when you come up against those things which, which tug at you in one way because they go, oh, this could be quite financially nice mm-hmm. and tug at you another way because you go, but is it morally correct? Um, but how do you see the industry going if if all we're doing is remaking stuff eventually we're gonna get to a point where we're gonna have to start remaking the remakes i think people are getting too frustrated for it to go down that way for much longer i think do you think it's more prevalent in film and tv than theater yeah definitely but that's because it's such a money-based industry Film like, TV. Yeah, that's why yeah. they'll cast someone who has, you know, 500,000 Twitter followers over someone who could actually do the job because yeah. they just, they want guaranteed box office numbers. Yeah. And so they won't take risks. But then the, the joke is that when people do take risks, like Jordan Peele with Get Out, he made that film for like a fraction, like a, I think it was like the budget was like two or four million or something. Something like five, yeah. And then it made like, what, 200 million? Yeah, but that, that's, that's the Blumhouse uh, model. Right. They make films for dirt cheap Mm -hmm. and they go on to do gangbusters yeah and And you just go then they serialize them yeah but at the same time that was that was a risk you know daniel kaluuya wasn't a massive star um and and yet for off the back of that film he now will work forever rightly so yeah but it's it's if you do take the risks exciting new incredible things happen but i think people especially in the film world are a bit afraid of of that it's one thing to want a career as an actor but it's another thing to actually get it because essentially you are a freelancer mm-hmm. and you have a craft and most of the time you'll probably be unemployed and then for maybe two weeks i'm an actor because i've got a job but then yeah, yeah, yeah. back to unemployment again when was the point where you realized this is my career i'm actually paying my rent and i don't have to <laughs> go get a starbucks job or something um it's kind of tricky because you I don't know. I feel like it's sort of beyond your control. All you can do is be the best actor you can be and hope for the best. I mean, there's no... Before... So basically, I left drama school and I was doing lots of plays and they were in Leeds and Manchester and I did a weird tour of the sort of south coast of England and it was all all regional theatres, all fairly small to middle scale stuff. And I was quite happy doing that. And then Cucumber came along and I'd never done TV before. I'd never, I didn't know Russell T Davis. I didn't know Andy Pryor who cast it. I didn't know much of that world at all. That came along and from that point on my career took a, took a massive turn, a massive turn. Um, and I, I suppose maybe from that point on, um, it was like, oh, I'm actually paying my rent and I'm meeting all these amazing, I mean, I, mean, I met Judy Dench and all these just phenomenal, be- she's gorgeous she's the nicest woman in the world <laughs> on it genuinely she's lovely um and i was meeting all these people and in all of these rooms and auditioning for these things that i never thought was in my reach before yeah. so i guess maybe that was a turning point but um i'm under no illusion that it could all end tomorrow you know i mean there's i mean flavor of the month is a very real thing and yeah. i know that i've been lucky enough to work fairly consistently but i know that that could all crash and burn well cucumber was instant. four years ago yeah three about, years ago yeah you, no it came out 2015 yeah so you yeah. probably shot it from yeah 2014 i think we shot it yeah so, so coming up five years and you're still you're still working you yeah. still don't have to go get a, a normal real job no, no 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 i mean there were t- there have been times in maybe the last say two two or three years not not the, i'd say the last two years i haven't really had to do that so yeah but i it's a weird thing because if I look back at my career, you can there there are definite moments where it's shifted and changed and yeah. moved from one thing to another. But I just enjoy acting. I enjoy telling stories. I enjoy figuring people out, and I enjoy doing that in front of an audience. And were you figuring me out on the shoot before? <laughs> well, I just <laughs> I just I just like people. I just think people are interesting, and to get to portray them or to to investigate why they are the way they are and why they think the way they do and why they move the way they do is is the the kind of biggest joy is that the main apart from learning your lines Mm -hmm. is that the main thing that you do pre a show try and find out who is 
the character who is Dean, let's say. Yeah, I, from I'm, I'm much more a, a sort of, um, I will read it and it'll sort of chime something in the back of my head and I'll go, okay. And then my, <laughs> if I had like a process, which I don't really think I do, but um, it's sort of like throwing loads of really big, bold colours at a wall and then seeing what people think and then slowly over rehearsals or over time sort of putting a neat little border around it. Um, but I think I'm much more a, a, a sort of creature of instinct than than of um, methodical sort of annotation. And, and I'm not very good at that stuff. I've never been good at it. So you leave some of it to chance until the first I don't know if it's not, not to chance. It's to, it's to sort of... The, th- the reason I love theatre is because it's a bunch of people in a room trying to figure it out. Yeah. And so you, you, you read, do what, what, what whatever research you feel you need to do, and then you turn up to the rehearsal room and you see. And then you go, maybe it's this, and maybe it's that, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And then if you've got a decent director, they'll just gently guide you. Yeah. And then you find your spot and you go, okay, great. Um, TV's and film is different because you sort of have to do it by yourself and then sort of like a dog bringing a dead bird and just present it to the director <laughs> and hope it hope it's all right i've never heard it called <laughs> that you know before. what i mean you sort of just go like here's my dead bird i hope you like it and and uh and <laughs> is that not the scariest though do oh you gotcha think? because i mean you could turn up and the director could go i don't know where you got this idea from it's yeah. never happened so far but um yeah I, I i prefer investigating it with people i prefer devoting time like weeks with a director with other cast members i, pr- I love doing that stuff. and it very rarely happens yeah you don't really film. get rehearsal on i TV. know that i mean you mentioned the favorite b- before i love that i film. loved it so much it was sorry twice this year. i mean i love that guy's work yeah, yeah, you've yeah. seen the lobster yes and uh, killing of a sacred deer i've not seen that yet but i, I want to it's amazing and um there's dog tooth and the alps before okay. those but on the favorite which is so bizarre. They had three weeks of rehearsal, but it wasn't a case of let's sit down and really get to nitty gritty with the script. It mm-hmm. was more playtime. They were like doing theater trust games just so they could be really comfortable with each That's other. That's what's so important because often you, you get to a set, you've not met anyone. Mm. You've not met any of the crew. You've not met half of your castmates and you sort of turn up and it, it's, it can be a bit disarming. Um, but, you know, if you're decent and you've got a decent crew, Russell T. Davis particularly, and I don't know how he does this. Every time I've worked on something he's written, it is one of the most joyous experiences I've ever had. I don't know how it happens, but everyone from the top down is a delight. Well, let's talk about that. How did, how did Cucumber it was come honestly, into it? I you, mean, that you... was my first TV job. And I remember I'd never, <laughs> I'd never, I didn't know what a set was like. I didn't know what the rules are. But when you, so you, you rehearse the scene with you, the director, whoever, whoever else is in the scene. Mm. And then they go, and then the director goes, okay, crew show. And then 30 people walk onto set and watch you. So do they the do scene. a quick block out with the cameras. Yeah, or just, they do just a quick, with you, just, just with just you, you, the director. And, and, and whichever yeah. other actors. And then the crew come in and watch. Now that, that to me, you're suddenly, you suddenly go from this really intimate, quite nice conversation yeah. to then 30 people all with their arms folded, staring at you. But that's but, an audience. Yeah, but, that, but. Like, I'm pretty sure I had my arms folded at one point during the performance the other night oh, no, yeah. but that's that's it's very different because they're not going oh i want to see your performance they're literally going so where are we going to put the lights ah, okay. where are we going to stand for so the they're sound? not it's, it's the fact it's that they're actually, not interested in it's got your nothing to do with your performance they just want to know where's he moving to how many cameras will we need what's yeah. the setup so they do that but when that happened for the first time and i was moving my little mail trolley that i drew right <laughs> oh, your character's got a mail yeah. trolley yeah and i crashed into a desk and I forgot all my line because I just got so nervous but <laughs> but then Vincent Franklin who was playing the lead in that show he he the really lovely thing normally if you're the lead you sort of go second um, in terms of if, if it's just two of you in a scene yeah you'll do your bit first and then the lead will go second so they can base their performance off what you've given them because he saw how nervous I was he went first just to put me at ease and I'll never forget that it was a really really generous act um, why did they, and don't take this the wrong way, why did they pick you? Because you'd never done TV before. I have no idea. I mean... What was the audition like? The first round I had to do a scene and I just sort of read it the way I thought Dean should sound. And, so it was a scene from Cucumber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember from, which one? Oh, dear. Um, I think it might have actually been a scene from Banana. I can't remember. But yeah, um... 
I remember doing it and, and thinking, I think I did well enough to get a recall. And then I was doing a show up in Glasgow. So for the recall, I had to get a sleeper train all the way down to London. Oh, wow. That's um, fancy. And then I woke w- literally woke up off the train, had about seven coffees, went into the audition. And I kind of, I felt like, do you remember in Banana, in my, the first episode where... He meets um he meets that guy off Grinder Andrew Hayden Smith yeah Andrew yeah. Hayden Smith he meets Andrew off uh, Grinder and does that massive speech about following following him around oh yeah so that was the 125 sp- miles or yeah, something yeah that yeah. was the speech I had to do and okay. so I think I kind of fucked it really I don't think I did it particularly well um you fluked it or fucked it fucked it right okay. <laughs> massively. <laughs> uh, and and maybe that was half the charm because I mean maybe. that sounds a bit like a Dean thing. I definitely didn't feel like I I did did it justice. Um, and then for whatever reason, I've never really. I, I mean, I'm very grateful to Andy and to Russell and yeah. Nic- Nicholas Schindler and Matt Strevens. I'm really grateful um, to all of them. But I, for whatever reason, they gave it to me, and luckily, I think it worked. <laughs> I think it worked out. Was Dean there? on the page or did you have to go off and do research no dean was like the best writers dean flew off the page there was no i didn't i didn't have to go who who is this guy or what's going i i when i know a dean i know someone like this i know how he walks i know how he talks i just had all that in me um he's like a little he's he's like a ball of energy but he's like a little lovesick puppy isn't he yeah and he just wants to be you know cool and all, all all the stuff young people want i think he he i think russell did a very good job with with him what was the most rewarding part of doing cucumber and banana and tofu as well um being gay and something that was gay because uh, i mean that was i hadn't come out to my family at that point and then doing the role i mean i, I must have been what 20 26 maybe oh wow and I hadn't come up to my family and I was doing this big gay thing with all these big <laughs> gay people and I thought well if there's a time now now's is the it. time um so did you tell them before I t- I t- the t- air date t- told them before the air date and moved out during filming and um it went well ish you ish? know as, as well as it it wasn't be. like I dean's mean, story no no, no. <laughs> even though that story is complete yeah that's yeah exactly but um it was it, you know it went well and i yeah i'm very grateful to 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 cucumber for that because it i i there were so many gay actors in it doing it and it was just really lovely to have a sort of common um link with with your fellow Classmates, it was a yeah. really lovely, lovely thing to do. Had you watched Queer as Folk previously? I didn't watch it when it first came out, but I had done um, yeah. before beforehand. Yeah. So how old are you in '99? Go '87. Uh, oh, you would have been 12. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so maybe I you wouldn't have. No. 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 I definitely, definitely wouldn't have been allowed. <laughs> it was such an important part of my childhood. Right. And whilst. It, I still think it is absolutely amazing. Mm. I get it that maybe 16, 17-year-olds now probably don't want to watch something from 20 years ago. Well, no, because, it, it, I mean, it, it, things resonate in a different way. Yeah. So cucumber, banana, and tofu became their I think generations. So. I think, well, I'd like to think so, yeah, yeah. It's odd because Russell was here last night. He came to watch the show. Oh, really? Yeah, bless him. You yeah. kept in contact. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've done cucumber, banana, tofu... Midsummer Night's Dream, but I've done like five things with him. Oh, right. Yeah, which is just... I didn't realise he'd done a Midsummer's, Midsummer's Night's Dream. He did Midsummer Night's Dream for BBC, that, he? and he did A Very English Scandal. Do you know the... Did he do that? Yeah, yeah. I have it on my watch list on Amazon. It's so good. I will watch it. Ben is incredible. At Ben Wishaw, he's well, yeah, I, incredible I mean, I, in it. I, I put on my watch list because he's in The Lobster. Yeah, he's he's really good. He's great. I think we touched on this ever so slightly before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really interested to know, how do you feel in in the last five or ten years that how are film, TV and theatre, the industries, how are they reacting to the idea of diversity? Do you think you as a, an out gay black man, yeah. are you getting roles that maybe ten, five or ten years ago you wouldn't get? as an out gay black man probably i mean yeah i mean things have progressed massively and 
you know, not to take away from the, the things that have been done, there is still a lot of work to do. I've been very fortunate to work at the sort of rate I have been, and I don't take that lightly. I'm, would, it, would it be different if I was white and straight? Probably, I don't know. But I'm very happy with the way things are going personally. But there are still things that occur in the industry that just drive me nuts. But I Like what? Uh, I mean, where, where to begin? I don't know. You just sort of go... <laughs> Okay, no, let me talk about the good things. There are great things happening, like all-female Shakespeare's. It's mm. really, really exciting. And they are they are commissioning new plays written by uh, more representative um, communities, which is uh, more communities who are representative of, of Britain as it, as it is, um, which is really exciting. I just feel that it's happening too slowly. And the main problem is the people at the top are all middle-class and white. And... I mean, Kwame running the the Young Vic, that's fantastic. That's brilliant. Um, and 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 he's a, he's a brilliant director, really great. But the, I think the, the the industry as a whole needs a bit of a radical overhaul because, like, all the critics, all the set designers, all the sound designers, they're all from a particular background. And it would be nice if there was an injection of culture because. BAME people, I don't like using that term, but anyway, we have, there is a rich culture that is not being accessed and it would, it would only improve the industry if we, if, if, if people from those backgrounds had access to it. Oh, completely. Otherwise it's just an echo chamber. Well, um, it's not even an, an echo chamber. I just think there's only, there's only so much you can gain by telling stories from one perspective. Yeah. Okay. And, and if you only do that, the industry will become a bit stagnant and boring you feel that has happened or is in danger of happening i think i think it's changing but i do think there's a danger of us just sort of going down a bit of a uh, producing the same kind of work over and over and over again do you feel with roles you are able to get a role that would typically default to a white person Mm. just because it was written by a white person it depends because i think again that comes down to a casting director or Mm -hmm. a writer or a director going i think i want this this character who was written as a man to be a woman or i think i want this guy i think i want an asian guy for it or i think i think it's down to those guys because as actors we hold very little power at the moment i don't have the power to change it but if i if i did if i if i was producing it would be just something I did, it would not be an effort. It wouldn't be an effortful exercise. I would just be representative in my storytelling and in my casting. And it's not hard to do, I don't think. Russell, in in his scripts for Cucumber and Banana, every single character, whether they were white or or um, East Asian or, or, or Jamaican, it didn't matter. Whatever they were, he said, you meet Vincent, he's 40, he's white. You meet Dean, he's 19, he's black. You meet Scotty, she's 21, black. So then, so then producers, directors, whoever, they have no choice but to cast it that way. And that's, and that's I think, what is missing. Because if, if, if writers don't do that, the default is, is to cast a white lead or a white actor in the role not that there's anything wrong with white actors working or being cast in those roles but i think there 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 can be interesting things pulled out if the if the casting is more representative do you think they're not even realizing they're doing it well no because why would you like why would they they it's why would they they only recognize it's happening when someone brings it up and goes you know the last five things you've produced have all been all white yeah and they go oh yeah yeah but but why would you think that if you're in a position of privilege and you you haven't taken the time to understand what that means then of course you're not going to realize there's a problem and then when somebody brings up a problem to you of course you're 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 gonna react in a negative way because you go well i didn't i don't have anything to do with that it's like no you're not you're not actively perpetuating it, but you are actively benefiting from it. And for yeah. you to not be aware of that is a bit of a crime. Is a bit of yeah, it's a bit of a shit situation. Yeah. Would you want to produce? Um, eventually, but I don't know enough about it at the moment to to even consider that. Yeah. What about directing? I think I think I'd probably like to write and direct, but again, that is something. I I if I'm gonna do it, I want to make sure that I have the actual skill set. So I'd want to 
meet and talk with writers and directors and and maybe retrain and maybe do some courses and read all the books and do it properly i don't want to just sort of go oh well i'm doing quite well so i'll just write something and it'll and hope it'll get made i want to do it properly if you're going to do a thing do it right because you've worked with paddy considine yeah i never say his name correctly that's all right (laughs) (laughs) he he's he's really made a a leap from being a kind of known actor mm. to sort of a lead actor mm-hmm. and now he's just directed his second film yeah so when you worked with him on the girl with all the gifts was that a conversation that you would have with him um i spoke a lot to, with him about tyrannosaur and his approach to the directing because i do find that, that I, I do think that actors turned directors have an intimate knowledge of what it is to be an actor on mm. a set and he told me fascinating stories about how he would direct olivia in, in, in some of those scenes, you know, he would, he'd do a thing, I hope you won't mind me saying this, but he would do a thing where he would talk to her about the scene until he felt that she was really in it. And then quietly he'd do sort of make a little gesture to the camera team um, to start rolling. And then he'd just step out of frame and then she'd just do the scene. And like stuff like that, because ultimately, if you want the best from someone, you have to figure out what that actor requires. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just about and go cry yeah. or and go scream and go make us laugh. You've got to cultivate an environment that is safe because I don't think people understand what it costs sometimes. Emotionally. Yeah. I, I don't think people get the fact that, yeah, we're crying or we're making people laugh or whatever. But like it, there's a there's a there's a weird thing. You are trying to hold an, an entire being in your body and display that being to an audience. And that's a lot of work. Because most people only have space for one. <laughs> yeah. And you've got how many in there? <laughs> like loads just r- rattling around my brain. But um, I, I, I think Paddy is, is a very good example of someone who understands what is required from a director and also understands what it, what it is to be an actor. And so he took those two things and nailed it. Because Tyrannosaur is one of the best films ever. It's just stunning. Have you, since then, have you, have you almost been paying attention in a different way to your rehearsal periods and how you're directed in theatre, trying to pick up on those Yeah, those I mean, skills? I think, I'm going to be quite honest here, I, I think I went through a f- period, like, for the first few, few years after drama school where I relied heavily just on natural ability. Yeah. And didn't really do the necessary level of work in order to te- like elevate your work from being good or decent or yeah nice to to great why um, is that i think i think part just laziness i think and i think i didn't realize because it always worked yeah i it was sort of like oh well this is fine this is all i need to do in order to deliver a credible performance but is that because you were in you know drama school I, I went to art school i went yeah. to uh, film school and and uh london college communication it's it's almost like a it's like a little bubble. It's very safe. You can yeah. make mistakes and not not feel like I'm sodding up a production here. Yeah. Is is there an element of of that to to um, the fact that you weren't pushing yourself? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I didn't. I just didn't. I just didn't work as hard as I do now. I mean, as in, like, in in terms of. Um, prepping and like i say i am not someone who annotates a lot but i will read it a lot and think about it a lot and read around it a lot if 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 like for this play i had to do shitloads of reading because it was just <laughs> so massive yeah. but um but there's a lot to learn yeah but also um that there is there has been a difference in my performances i don't think it's for me to say well anything about them but i, I do feel i feel a physical difference in the way I was performing a few years ago and the way I'm and the level I'm performing at now. And that's because you had conversations with Paddy or every, 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 every conversation, every job, every rehearsal process, every, all of it feeds into it. Every, everything I experience feeds into what I do. Everything. I think you hate to get stale. Well, yeah, I mean, and also I like variety. I think I'm quite lucky in that I get to do, restoration comedies where we're 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 wearing you know restoration costumes and we're doing all the fans and the handkerchiefs and we're doing all that stuff and then do sort of um avant-garde political plays i i i enjoy the variety and i don't want that to stop and i think if you become known for a particular thing i think people because it's easier i want to go he's the guy that does that yes and i'd quite like to avoid that thing i'd rather just be he's the guy that's good that being said would you yeah well obviously (laughs) that being said would you i mean would you turn a soap down 
if that's the same thing day in day out for 20 years yeah i would and, and not because i love soaps yeah. like me and my mum and my dad we my sisters we've grown up watching all of them i yeah. mean from from neighbors to holby city Corrie, all of them we watch them all but um it's not something i particularly want to do really i mean there is variety the storylines change and all that stuff but yeah you'd always be that one character wouldn't you yeah i think so i think there's a danger of then being typecast as as that thing and yeah I'd, I'd like to avoid that i think yeah it would be tough i mean like there's you know there's the the grand old uh cast members of all the different soaps who've mm. been there for 30 years but then you know you look at like sarah lancashire and she is just fucking astonishing she's such a good actress it's insane and she started on Corrie and but she was only there for a short time really no raquel was on there for ages wasn't she I don't. I don't think she was. I mean, because she had like Kurt, like Ian was Bill. his name Curly. What's his name? Her husband. Uh, Curly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But she she left and Curly stayed on. But people like uh, yeah. people like you know Adam Thingy who plays Ian Bill. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if he let he's been there for he's been there what 30, 35 years, mm. he would find it really difficult to get cast as something else. Yeah. Yeah. The guy that plays Ken Barlow has been there since 1960. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a great wage. Yeah. And obviously they've got built into their contract, can't be killed, can't yeah, leave, yeah, yeah, yeah. the cobbles must stay and so must I. <laughs> <laughs> but it must be, I mean, it's great for them. I, I like variety as well. So mm. if I was just photographing the same thing every single day, yeah. day in, day out, it would drive me insane. That's why I've never gone into like product photography. Right. And I like talking to my subjects and yeah, yeah. shoes don't ever talk to me. <laughs> 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 One thing that I always come back to on this podcast. Yeah. It's like the, the main theme. As a creative, we've all got that internal voice that says, uh-uh-uh, you're a piece of shit. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. do this. Yeah. Why are you doing this? How do you, how do you combat that voice? Um, so don't pretend it's not happening because it is happening, mm -hmm. but also it's not actually true because the voice is lying to you. And um, I, I remember at drama school, actually, Simon did this amazing workshop where he put two chairs in the middle of the room. Simon, your course uh, leader he was our He was our voice te teacher. Okay. And so you had to talk to the voice in your head, right? So you'd, in, you'd sit in one chair and be the voice in your head and you sit in the other room, you'd be yourself and respond. So you'd constantly get up and move yeah, chairs. Yeah, so you'd go, so you'd sit down and you'd go, Fazio, you're a really shit actor. And then you sit down and you go, well, why, do you, why are you saying that? And you'd be like, oh, because it's true. But is it true? Yeah, it's true. Who's told me? Well, nobody, but it's still true. So well, how can it be true if nobody said it? And then eventually the voice has no answer because mm -hmm. for whatever reason, we have an inbuilt thing that makes us go, you can't and you shouldn't and who would want you to but behind that voice there's a quieter softer gentler voice going well just go on try do your best and see so when you feel that voice creeping in maybe in rehearsal period or even if you're mid I mean, monologue I, I, on stage how do you deal with it in that moment you just have to go i'll deal with you later and it just like a little mental I'll, i i hear you but I'll deal with you in a second. And then you have to look at the facts, the concrete facts in front of you. Has anyone told you you are shit? No. Has anyone said they don't want to see you act anymore? No. If they're not true, then the voice is a liar. But it, obviously I'm saying it like it's really easy, like I struggle. I mean, my friends, my friends always have to deal with me during rehearsals, always have to deal with me going, I can't do it, I'm terrible. And they're like, I'm not doing this again because every time you do this and every time it's fine <laughs> and so you know it's not it's not an easy thing to do but i think it's uh it's a necessary bit of um uh practice to just go i'll deal with you in a minute let me think of the facts you're a liar do you read your own reviews yeah i'm really bad for it yeah does that trigger that voice no because I think all your reviews are well, good. Well, no, <laughs> no? not in that. No, that what you're saying? <laughs> no, not in that sense. But I mean, um, I I read reviews from my first job and didn't know it was a bit of a faux pas and to, to read reviews and, yeah. and sort of chat about them. And then because I've always done it, it's just never gone away. And I like hearing what people have to say. I mean, most of them, you're like, yeah, fine, whatever. Um, but I don't get affected by them in that sense of if they say a particular moment's good, I don't start milking the moment in, you know, because the reviews liked it. Yeah. Because ultimately it's just a handful of people's opinion. And really the people whose opinions really matter to me are my friends and my family. So not even the audience members. 
audience members yeah and that is it is lovely when you do a play that really touches people in a in a in a way i did a play barbershop chronicles last year and that that play was lovely because we had i had young black men who'd never been into central london before and never been to the theater before going thank you for putting that like doing that play because it really spoke to us because it was about a culture and a thing that we understand um so i think reaching audience members is is much more important than having nice mentions in reviews. See, that immediate reaction where you actually do your craft, you do you do some acting, and then immediately you see in the audience, you know, you might pick out someone's face and you go, I'm, I'm, I'm getting that person in the right way. Yes. It's really unique to theatre acting. Mm-hmm. I never get that reaction with my photos because most people will be a million, not a million miles, but, you know, yeah, yeah. miles away from me looking on their phone, looking on their laptops, mm-hmm. It's, it must be really cool. It is, and it partic- I find it particularly with comedy. I really, really enjoy rehearsing a comedy and people laugh in the room and all that stuff, but yeah. it's when you get in front of an audience and really, like, in minute detail, figuring out exactly the tone or the pitch to hit to make it funny. Mm-hmm. And when you hit it, it's so, it's so, it's so satisfying and because you know you're having an immediate effect on them. Like, if you're doing something that's a bit heart-rendering or gut-wrenching or traumatic it's harder to gauge how people are feeling because those feelings are very very intimate and and uh, intricate but to 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 make a room full of strangers with different different senses of humor laugh in unison is just a joy when we find something funny we make that laughing noise it's very audible isn't it if you're doing something heart-wrenching and sad Mm. people tend to be quite quiet and kind of introverted yes absolutely so it's difficult to gauge so i imagine the reaction from comedy is 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 much more immediate yeah and it is and it's also it's just a lot of fun to work it out because because half the time you'd be like i don't know why that's funny i don't know why they laugh so much at that thing but if i do it any other way it won't it's just not gonna work and i um, and half because pitches are funny Vocal inflections are funny, hmm. but we don't know why they're funny. They just are. There's just a certain sarcasm if delivered in the right way at the right time with the right timing is hilarious. And other times it's just bitchy. And it's like, the, and, and the difference between those two things is like paper thin. It's the naughtiness of it. Yeah, but I, I, I love figuring that stuff out, especially with comedy. I so you want it. to do more comedy? No, I mean, I want to do everything. Yeah. I just mean I, I really enjoy the figuring out bit of doing comedy. But I, I want to do more of everything (laughs) (laughs) um well time is moving on okay head to sftl.photos to see the photos i just shot a fizz we always end on a quiz okay and it's sort of about you but not it's all about you (laughs) actors it's always about actors (laughs) question one okay what vegetable contains 96 percent water oh 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 um uh uh celery I'm thinking of a different one. Remember, it's about you. Oh, cucumber. <laughs> oh, very good. Okay, okay, we're there, are we? We're right, there, we're okay. there. All right. Question two. Science writer Angela Croom estimates there have been how many shipwrecks worldwide? What? <laughs> uh, what, like, over how, what, what period are we talking? Like, all, all since time? the first ship what? went, went, on the water. How many so shipwrecks? How uh, many shipwrecks? 50,000. Just a little bit higher. 70. 3 million. <laughs> okay. Right, okay. <laughs> and that's backed up by the UN. What? I don't know, I don't know 3 they, million shipwrecks? I don't know how they were known. Well, think of all the wars in just in the oh, past true. 150 okay, years. Okay, we're thinking like Spanish Armada and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine, well, fine, Ships, fine. any ship. Yeah, Jesus, wow. Uh, question three. The Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, where you studied for how long? <laughs> three years. Three years. Was founded in 1906 by who? <laughs> um, Mr. Speech and Drama. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Mr. Um... Oh, God, no, I do know this. It's not Bruford, is it? No, it's... Uh, I j- oh, my God, th- that's so embarrassing. Do you want a clue? Yes. Or should I just say the name? No, give me a clue. Go on. I don't know how I can give you a clue. Elsie <laughs> <laughs> Fogarty. Oh, no, I wouldn't have No one knows. No, no. Like, I went Leeds Mayor. I don't know who started that. No, 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 no. Number four, the building we're in right now, yes. the Amida Theatre, mm-hmm. was previously a factory producing what? 
This is in the program, by the way. Well, I thought it was... Wasn't it a science thing before that? Like a research thing? It was, but immediately before it was a theatre, it was a factory. Oh, my God. What were they producing? I have no idea. Carnival novelties. (laughs) I would not have that at all. For a company called Beck's British Carnival Novelties. Wow. Question five, and this is the last question. Okay. People with a latex allergy may also experience a reaction to what fruit? Uh, banana? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you okay. got that on the flu, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, <laughs> the allergy is actually to the protein in the latex, and it's a very similar in structure to proteins found in certain plant foods, like bananas. Right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's educational, this podcast. I mean, podcast. fantastic. I've learned two new things that I've almost certainly immediately almost forgotten. forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as I said, Shipwreck is on until the 30th of March. That's right. Tickets are on the website. Uh, I'm assuming it's almedia.com or something like that. Yeah. Just Google it. <laughs> I'm not doing everything for you. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been lovely. This is how we end the podcast. I've been Robert Gershenson. I've been Fazayo Akiade. We'll shoot you later. Mm.